0: I actually generally didn't accept the status quo as being the reason we, something we had to stick with. I always would question, why do we have to continue to do things the way we've always done them? Why can't we do things differently?
1: Welcome to Broken Benefits. I'm your host, Lee Lewis, and this is a podcast where we learn from top employer experts on how to fix our broken benefits to save lives, save dollars, and save your talent. Hey everyone, welcome to Broken Benefits. I am your host, Lee Lewis, and so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, she is amazing. Sally Wellborn is an institution in American healthcare. She ran all the benefits uh, globally, domestically, and, and all healthcare for the world's largest retailer for almost a decade. She led benefits at a major Fortune 100 bank for over a decade and helped usher in and develop some of the most critical, and at the time, most progressive and new strategies that are used today from medical tourism and centers of excellence to second opinions and the movement towards appropriateness. If you've uh, experienced, heard of, or used any of those strategies, they likely started with Sally. Uh, During her tenure, she oversaw just a just at Walmart, probably over combined, over $30 billion in healthcare transactions. And uh, so excited to have her on the show today and for all of us to be able to learn from her. Sally Wellborn, welcome to Broken Benefits. So excited to have you today.
0: Thanks, Lee. Very uh, very honored and pleased to be um, joining you today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So hopping right in here, your style and approach is different. And everyone will acknowledge this is different than most benefits managers. I would love for you to take a moment to talk about in in your own eyes, in your own view, what are some of the ways that you approach the problem different than most?
0: So thanks, Lee. You know, um I think it's interesting that you say I approach things differently. And maybe it's because I was just um more obnoxious from time to time (laughs) about how to solve the problems. but I usually, so so a couple of things that I would point out. First is, um, I actually generally didn't accept the status quo as being the reason we, something we had to stick with. I always would question, why do we have to continue to do things the way we've always done them? Why can't we do things differently? So that's the first thing. The second thing, and it's sort of aligned with that, is I also, always I never assumed that the way to solve things had to be using the status quo incumbents and um, I usually would think about how else can I solve this problem if the incumbents are not solving the problem and that at its core is the the probably the differentiator is that i I I didn't first, I first would look at the incumbents and when the incumbents weren't solving a problem, I figured out how to get around it.
1: Everyone now, just a quick word from today's sponsor. Mom, are you crying? No, sweetie, just some allergies. Come here. Let's go play. Come on. One in four Americans had trouble paying a recent medical bill. Many of these people affected work for companies just like yours. Start giving your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. If we're trying to do the same strategies with the same partners, uh, you know, with the same objectives and expect something new, it's... Uh, you know, not not real sustainable. What do you think is the? What do you think is a common kind of mistake in the way that we are generally approaching healthcare? That man, if you could, if you could steer the whole industry in one area, what would it be?
0: So, if we're just thinking healthcare specifically and not broad benefits, right? So, yeah, I think when we when we talk about healthcare as employers. So just even just it, it, it's it's actually much, much bigger than employers, but employer purchasing and healthcare. Yeah. I think that we always we, we some so there's two two fatal flaws. Some of some, but doesn't don't always have to be fatal flaws. Number one is we don't have to always look for a silver bullet, but sometimes there are some silver bullets that might make a difference. And and the other fatal flaw is thinking about not thinking about something other than how is this going to be easier? Because it do, things don't have to be easier. Sometimes things aren't easier, sometimes it's harder. And if we think about that, the point of healthcare is getting people back to full health, meaning improved health. Um, And there is an element of keeping them healthy and avoiding ill health. If we keep focusing on that and not let let perfection be the enemy of the good, meaning perfection being, oh, we, we can't solve for better quality because it might disrupt a member. Oh, we can't solve for elimination of inappropriate care because it's going to annoy the providers. Right. So we let other factors limit us instead of saying, what is it we really are trying to solve for? Be aware of what those limiters are and mitigate them, but don't let them be the reason not to keep moving forward to fix the core problem, which is we have too much inappropriate care. We have lack of quality care. And
1: we spend way too much on care. Yes. Yes. I I love that. How you know, a follow-up question on that. It's okay. Um, so I know there's a lot of bad care out there. Uh I want to fix it. How do I find the good stuff? Cause there's a million, there's a million people out kind of purveying different types of solutions that can tell me where to find, you know, better providers, right? better cost, better safety, better quality, better appropriateness, better invasiveness. Um, how do I know which one to use? And maybe I shouldn't be so picky. And once I do, how do I get, how do I help my members to get there?
0: You know, Lee, there are, it's not an, so the short answer is it's not an easy answer. No. And there are some solutions in the marketplace now that can help you get to that answer. Don't feel like you have to solve for all of that in the beginning. Take, I think, a good place to start is identify the worst providers and eliminate them from your networks. And you can do that through some pretty basic things like using leapfrog data, right? Leapfrog mm-hmm. as indicating which hospitals are literally unsafe for you to, to go to. Um, so I think, you know, focusing on eliminating some of the lower providers is a place to start. And then if you want to begin to be a, a little bit more intentional around identifying the higher quality providers, there are solutions that are out there. And I, I'll give a few, but I don't want to imply that these are the only ones because this is a rapidly evolving marketplace and someone might see this presentation six months from now and somebody else has come along. So don't, don't infer that this is all that there is, but there are companies like Embold Health that can create lists of better providers in a marketplace, Garner Health, similar kind Mm -hmm. of a solution. There are centers of excellence providers such as Caram Health, uh, Mm -hmm. Bridge, which is now part of Transcarent, Employer Direct, Edison Health, where they have identified the best, um, surgeons and doctors for particular kinds of of procedures. So so there are organizations out there that can help you identify the best in class providers. Um, And you can surround them then with solutions within your benefit plan, because it's one thing to find them. It's another thing for your employees and patients to go there. So then you have the next step, which it's, it's not just finding finding them it's how to put a benefit plan around that to get them get members to the to them
1: right what you know what did you do you had arguably the most challenging population to try and educate and steer uh you have uh, executives all the way down to the most entry level of entry level uh you're not a concentrated population you're Everybody knows you're in every city, every town, every rural jurisdiction. How in the world do you engage and communicate to a population like that?
0: So you're speaking of my time at Walmart. So Yes,
1: I'm referring you.
0: Yeah. And so at Walmart, you're 100% right. And so the The challenge is how do you make it so that you don't have to communicate? This is one of those things that I've continued to learn and struggle with, to be very honest, it is a continual struggle in the employee benefits world, Mm -hmm. which is how do you eliminate the need that the person that is the user of the program or benefit needs to be communicated to and trained and learn what to do. So how can I make it where it's, automatic so that if they enter the system things happen automatically so i, mm-hmm. I don't have a full proof answer to that but that yeah. is where i would object i always i one of my my team would if they were hearing this would remember one of my least favorite things is a benefit plan that has a gotcha right oh if yes. you read that if you had read that email I sent to you or that postcard I sent to you, you would have known that if you go to that provider over there, it would have cost you less money. Well, no, we can't have a system that requires users of the system to have to know every rule. Like, does it not annoy you when you didn't know the rules around your cell phone service plan, right? So how do we make it so that You don't the communication is awareness, but it's more a situation of I don't need to communicate to them everything about it. There is it's just built into the process. If they go to their doctor, it's going to work for them. They enter the system It's going to work for them. So I'm not giving you a great answer here. But I think it's where I've always been striving for, which is how to make it so it's less it's less critical that they know what the rule is. Now, you can't always avoid that. And I will tell you that our centers of excellence program that we did at Walmart is one of those where, at some point, you have at some point with healthcare trend going the way it is in this year, 2022, 23, right? There will be times when you're going to have to say, if you're going to be in this system, this is what you have to do. And there are going to be things that, you know, you have to be in this narrow network. You have to use these COEs. How do we make it so if they enter the system that they know that they're going to go wherever they go, that they're in the right system? It's going to be a challenge. It's going to continue to be a challenge. We learned that through our COEs. Um, giving people a choice, incentivizing them works a while. But at some point, you have to make things the rule. And if you break the rule, then, right. yeah, there's a gotcha. But you try to avoid those
1: sometimes, uh, you know, in the world of carrots and sticks, I sometimes characterize it as um, forget carrots and sticks, just build corrals. <laughs> so you're just, you're just walking through, you can throw some carrots in there if you want, that's fine. But if, if you just know where to go and, and make it so that you can't go wrong, um, not to take away people's autonomy, but honestly, sometimes I just want to know where to go. And that's, yeah. that's way better than anything else is I just, I don't want to have to think about it. I want to have to learn it. And that's what I'm what I'm hearing from you in terms of, yeah, like make it, make it good design. A good program can be an invisible one. Um, so that we don't have to communicate it. I love that. If you make a smart enough system, you, your users don't have to be that smart. You're, you know, you helped to spot a ton of these major trends. You, you even created some of these, how, how do you spot trends? What's your process? And I know some of it's just luck, but what process do you use and how do you identify something that you know is going to be hot?
0: You know, um, I don't think that I ever look for what's hot.
1: Okay.
0: And I, I don't, I, I think if I look back at the things that I did, what I did was um, I identified two, two, two alternative paths. One is I identified something that needed to be fixed and I went out and created something to fix it. Or two, I heard about something that was unique and different. And I thought that it might be something that could make a difference. So I was, I was, so it was not like I was, you know, identifying something that was already a wave, right? And saying, oh, that's really one of those waves that's going to make it all the way to the shore. I was actually looking for what's out there pretty far deep that's beginning a little ripple that I think has the possibility of making a real difference. So I'm gonna stop on that analogy because I'll butcher it here if I go any further with it. But (laughs) here's here's the example I'm gonna give on that. Uh I'll give two examples actually, because they're so pertinent. One is uh, consumer directed healthcare. Yep. And so there was this guy, right? Tony Miller is his name now. I'm not, I mean, you know, the people know his name now, but at the time nobody knew his name really. Tony Miller came happened to come to us when I was at Wells Fargo and said, I believe healthcare is broken and I believe I have an idea about how to fix it. And I believe that consumers being a part of the solution is how to fix healthcare. And I and my team listened to it and, you know, we walked away and said, that's a that really makes some sense to us so we 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 kind of you know did some due diligence and then we started testing it and trying it and we learned from it it seemed like and so i mean that was the beginning this was in you know early 2000s probably
1: Hmm.
0: yeah early 2000s and we we tested it and tried it and yes it was the beginning of a wave that was a that is continues to be a trend i will Say in retrospect that some of the early ideas about what it was supposed to do got um, completely messed up, messed up by um, impacts, by changes that were made by IRS rules, by federal government getting into it, by a lot of other things that mm-hmm. caused by employers doing dumb things with it. Um, mm-hmm. So in the end. I well I take a lot of pride in the fact that we began. We were part of the few the handful of companies that began that that trend. I think in retrospect, what we learned is um, interesting in that sometimes you can start things that seem good on paper, um, but if they're not wisely managed, they can really go awry uh,
1: yeah.
0: and but it doesn't it shouldn't make you stop trying right other, so i think that's the number one thing the number two example i would give then is transparency yeah. so that was another one where early on um and i will give our colleague sean levitt may rest in peace yeah. for um really quote shining the light on the fact that this you know this lack of transparency in healthcare we all knew about it but he was passionate about really eliminating some of the opacity. And and because of his drive, a company called Castlight was created. And that was the beginning of the transparency move. And so early on when I was hearing him talk about it, it was like, that makes so much sense. And it, again, continued down this, my intent at the time was that people could be consumers of healthcare and consumers could really change healthcare. So, you know, that was the beginning of that trend. It was, you know, we, we our, probably, you know, every time you know, my employer would, would do these things. And then it, when we did it, I would get the early indications of success and I would become pretty vocal about it and share it with my colleagues and friends and probably helps, you know, drive that, that wave, so to speak. But you've got to continue to look and see, is it working? Is it not? Um, what we learned was that transparency on cost alone is only, is like a piece of it. It doesn't solve everything what we learned is that, and this is what I have really come to learn over the last five or seven years, which is that people can be consumers, patients, it's very hard for a patient to be a consumer. So human, you know, so people, when we're making our decisions at open enrollment, right, we're pretty rational, it's money, it's dollars and cents, it's, it's a pretty rational decision and we can be a pretty good consumer. I mean, the data would show us that you can be a pretty good consumer during open enrollment. Yes. When you're a patient and you are at the point of, first of all, you're, you got a you know, something wrong with you or your family or something. That's right. right. So are you really going to be thinking as rationally as, right. as you do in other scenarios? Number two, there is this, this, phenomenon, particularly in, in healthcare, around the back, the white coat syndrome, right? So when you're a patient, the asymmetry of knowledge, even though we give you a piece of knowledge, such as price transparency, the asymmetry of the rest of the world of healthcare, uh-huh. knowledge is so out of whack, it's, it's almost impossible for a patient to be a true consumer. And so that's coming back full circle to what I was talking about earlier, which is how do you just... Uh-huh in front of me so that if i enter the system i don't have to make all the decisions that's right that i'm being i'm being directed and helped you know if i want to make decisions if i want to make choices right that's great but when i don't want to make choices i don't you know are uncomfortable with or don't feel uh, fully um you know i'm not comfortable with it then i, I just need to have somebody help me figure it out
1: that's right. Almost make the white coat syndrome work for us. I was jotting that down as a thought of, hey, if we can empower you know through say, primary care or or other providers, maybe through telemedicine or whatever it might be, if we can empower those providers who are working with people and solving problems to refer to the right kinds of places and to value, it could it, it it almost can can fix that because you're right. we're We're not making that go away anytime soon what do you think are the biggest opportunities that you're excited about today what are what are uh, some of what's coming next so
0: that's a great question um i think what is coming next and, i mean this is going to sound very this is going to sound awful but yeah. i actually think the fact that that there's a a healthcare cost trend increase will employers to start looking deeper into their health plan and into healthcare. care so what i'm excited about is the fact that there are solutions that are there are ways to fix not fix bad word. there are ways to address some of those that that healthcare trend and 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 so i am more excited about some of the things that i talked about which is programs that Eliminate the need for patients to or make it easier for patients to identify best um, or get to better quality care, best quality care. Right. So it's not, not for them to find it, but for them to get to it. Um, some of the things like I was talking about, like in the provider identification area, the centers of excellence. Right. Those are the ones that I think have the, uh, the other part, though, I, I think we need to be extremely aware of and concerned about the the drug, the PBM area, right? Not the,
1: PBM, yes. the, drug,
0: the drug side, right? That's I, right. An article today about the GLP-1s and the, the G1Ps or GLPs, all of, the, that, all of those right. new solutions that are in, well, they're actually... type 1 diabetes programs or diabetes drugs that are being that uh, a side effect almost is that they cause weight loss so it's a good side effect right right and but they're super expensive number one number two once you get off of them you gain all of your weight back often so so i was just reading this article today and and it's I mean it's wonderful to be able to solve for helping people with diabetes, but and it's wonderful to help them lose weight because there are other things that go along with positive go and losing weight. but how can right. employers continue to pay an annuity of thousands of dollars per month for some of these drugs? And so forever forever, forever. well, until they go on until the federal government starts right until they go on Medicare, right? so so i think some of the solutions that are out there that number one will look at not just those but other drugs where they are annuity type drugs that maybe are that are so expensive um and and try to assess only making sure that they're only provided to the patient where that is the the (laughs) last resource and or how do we solve for prices of drugs, not cost of drugs, but the price of drugs being extraordinary and exorbitant compared to the actual cost of the R&D and production of the drug, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I love that comment that annuity drugs, I've never thought of them that way, but annuity drugs are a danger really that that and is an innovation really an innovation if it is empirically and impossibly unaffordable and i almost think you know keep working on it until you can make it keep working on it until you can make it affordable and accessible because if you're going to bankrupt the country with it you're not you're, you know, you're releasing a devil or making a deal with one as much as you're innovating something. Changing topics a little bit. You have always been fearless about pushing carriers. Um, And I want to caveat that because some people would cynically say, oh, well, you know, she's well-known and she had all the buying power in the world. But really is, as we all know, even large employers... If they don't approach it right, they still get told no, plenty by the by the insurance carrier vendors, right? And PBMs. What are What are like the three most important things that we need to be demanding from our carriers, and and we can throw PBMs in there as well. Yeah,
0: um, you know, I think the first thing is to ask these these um, monolithic all. Um, algopoly type service providers to um, not protect, not not focus on protecting their asset, which is their providers or their. In the case of PBMs, their their drug makers, right? Right. I think that the first thing you can tell them is start focusing on the patient and quality of care. And then let's given the role that you have in society, let's let your ability to impact quality of care and health outcomes drive your commercial success. I mean, we are in America, right? This is, you know, a capitalistic society. They they deserve the opportunity for commercial success, but let's flip the flip the reason that they need to be rewarded for commercialistic commercial success by Having better quality, so can we challenge them to focus on quality and not just shareholder value? Can we challenge them? I would challenge them to stop protecting their their provider networks because they are not helping the situation. Okay. And the third thing I would say is, I experienced this personally directly, and that is that um, most health plans have account managers that are on the ground talking to their their customers
1: Hmm. and
0: the account managers to be honest are rarely listened to because they are just a voice for their customer and the customer is not listened to so that's the other thing I, i used to just rail on the health plans about i told your account manager about this why aren't you listening to your account managers? I was an account manager and talked about it, and they didn't listen to me. So I think that is like the other thing. But the other, so here's the thing, right? Just you can't stop asking for things from the carriers. Keep asking right. for them. Don't 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 just say, "Oh, the carrier said no." Like okay, well, keep asking because right they it, it can't just be a few of us that that ask. It has to be everybody asking for it.
1: Everyone, now just a quick word from today's sponsor. Lemonade for 50 cents, it's for a good cause. This situation seems terrible, right? Well, what if I told you it actually happened in the United States in 2021? These are the families of people who work for companies just like yours. Give your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. The market only delivers what the customer demands, and if customers aren't demanding anything, we'll never get any change at all. You're you're exactly right. How how do you hold uh, your carrier accountable? So you you worked with every carrier, you and you're familiar with them intimately. What is it that employers are missing there? The um
0: the The real and perceived threat of walking away. There is too many times, you know, I think that the fear of change is probably the biggest barrier that most employee benefits leaders have. The fear of rocking a boat, making members have to change their their pbm because oh my gosh they're going to have to resubmit their claims i mean it's a big deal i'm not going to minimize it it's a big deal but if you if we don't continue to hold these these service providers accountable and and say look we will we will change and and do it sometimes you know we'll never get we'll never get their attention
1: a great point Almost that everybody should always have their alternative ready to go always.
0: You know, exact, exactly. And, um, it's, it's, it's fraught with danger because I remember, I can remember two really, really distinct ones. One with, with Walmart, one with Wells Fargo, both where I was making a bold move and trying to eliminate a big incumbent. And, um, things happen, right? There are business relationships that come, come back. And, you know, as much of a bully as I wanted to be, sometimes, sometimes there were bigger bullies. And, and, and as a benefits leader, sometimes you just have to go, okay, you know what, this is a business decision. And if the company wants to continue to spend X millions of dollars more, because there are business reasons on a different part of the business. Okay. I can understand that, but you, you can't don't don't assume that
1: that's the problem first. Try for the change first. It's great. It's terrific advice. A lot of people don't realize that when you're a huge employer, it's sometimes a, a disadvantage to innovation and agility. It's like, oh, well, if I was a small employer, I could try that. But because I'm big, you know, and small employers never get this. How do you, as a large employer, run small tests? And 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 still maintain some of that agility. You you were famous for being able to do so, as arguably the most encumbered large employer in the country.
0: So interesting, interesting that you say that because truly we rarely ran tests and pilots because it was almost always as hard to implement something, you know, nationwide as it is to just implement something for a small fraction. So we typically. I I I was not a we weren't big high, we didn't run pilots often. I mean from time to time we would um by yeah you know, subsetting geographic areas or things like that, but it, it, great. it wasn't like I was doing a lot of test and learn. Um,
1: yeah. So how did I you did. how did you try something new then? Cause I mean, when you're trying something new a non-zero percentage of the time things go horribly wrong and you obviously would have needed to protect against that. How did you bring these kind of new strategies to light when, you know, it was going to hit the whole country simultaneously?
0: So I think um, the, the, the thing to keep in mind is that, and I I will admit to not always being perfect at this, But once you get so so you have to, I mean, every every benefits leader has to get approvals for whatever you're gonna do. If you're gonna do it nationwide, right, you gotta get approvals.
1: Sure.
0: So the best defense is to make sure that your executives know everything that can go wrong.
1: Mm. And that's
0: where so if you Mm. they know everything that can go wrong and you're watching for those things that can go wrong. And when they do start to go wrong, then you quickly pivot, right?
1: This is great Mm. advice.
0: But the, the reality is it's that, that challenge so where I admit that, you know, the, it's hard to identify everything that can go wrong and right. make sure that everybody knows because there's all of a sudden amnesia. Corporate amnesia happens often. I sure. remember that PowerPoint I showed you where these things can happen, right? So, so yeah, I mean, corporate amnesia will happen. And the reality is is also being able to be strong enough to say either I, you know yes, this is what we, we shared with you. This is what's happening. This is how we're going to solve for it. Um, or being strong enough to say, hang with me. We're going to get there because sometimes that short-term pain is right for the long-term. I mean, it, even I'll tell you, one of the most traumatic changes I made was in healthcare. It was changing a PTO plan, changing a vacation plan. Really? Transition was awful. And it was giving people more and better But it it, was—it went horribly wrong. It went horribly awry because people, I mean, they complained about not being able to use all that we gave them, and so therefore it was a loss. I mean, it was just this crazy, crazy thing. But (laughs) I see your eyes. Yeah. So um, incredible. So okay. So. Things can go wrong, you just got to continue to be strong through it and then figure when it goes so misunderstood that you just, you go, okay, that's fine, we'll, we'll modify.
1: This is incredible sort of risk mitigation anyway. I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, this is, this would be so useful really in any area is whenever you're taking action on something, think of everything that can go wrong, make a list. And then write down what the signs would be that things are headed in that direction. So you can, you know, isolate your early warning system. That's so smart. And then, you know, writing it down and making it clear to leadership in order to hedge the risk plan appropriately and be prepared so that you can, you can launch more broadly. It's funny. You mentioned that too. I got an echo. We mentioned Sean Levitt earlier when, when Sean, um, I had the chance to, I, I was, uh, he was my client for a little while. It was sort of my first early break in my career. And he would say the same thing. He's like, we actually don't really run that many pilots because it's, it's as much work as going broadly. I mean, we might phase it in over time, but it, we didn't think of them as pilots. We just prepare and, and then we get ready to cancel quickly because not everything works. Um, I love that concept. How, how would you sell programs internally? Like you said, you got to get approval from all these stakeholders. Sometimes that's really hard in benefits, especially if funds are tight and you've got, you know, a persnickety CFO.
0: You know, I didn't. So um, the only time I could think about when I sold a program that was going to be additional cost was trying to sell um, adding like a help health re- health, uh, risk assessment well, wellness program. Um, at one of my former employers. And I don't, I will, in retrospect, not say that I did a great job on that, but I would, you know, it's the same thing. You've got to go, it's uh, the socialization, the, all of the actuarial analysis of what is the possibility of of it working and having a smart actuary on your side is really key to success too. Hmm. Uh, and um, so I don't think there was anything magic about what I did. You know, it's the classic things about socialization and and making people aware of it and knowing you know what the what the possibilities would be. But I will honestly say that I don't think I sold many things where there were where because of a budget being tight. I was told no because most of the time what I was trying to sell quote sell was I don't want I need to not do things as aggressively so. Business leaders think the way to solve healthcare costs to the company is to increase premiums, re- increase deductibles, you know, increase out right. of And so often what you're trying to do is say, I I I would rather not do that. And in lieu of that, I would like to add these other programs that I think will solve for reducing healthcare costs. So, but you know, that that's a different kind of a conversation than. Oh, we should add, you know, a, an MSK program for physical therapy. And it's going to cost X because you're not actually adding cost. You actually should be saying mm-hmm. mm-hmm. by doing X and it's not an added benefit. Now, that's not true if you were adding something like, say, can be paid child care or sure. you know, there are a lot of other benefits that cost the money. But if you're doing something in healthcare, care, right. it ought to be an additional cost because there's going to be a concomitant reduction in overall cost.
1: I think people miss that a lot. And I think that's brilliant. It's saying, look, rather than saying, hey, I, if I really want to put in this transparency program, or I really want to try this center of excellence program. Um, it's going to, oh, how much will it cost? Like you've already now gotten yourself into a debate. Like you're playing tic-tac-toe and the other, you let the other person go first. Like, no, 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 no. It's, hey, costs are going up this much. One way to handle that is to raise deductibles but I don't think our labor force is going to love that. So, here's an alternative, costs the same to us as increasing or or enduring this huge lift, but this one would actually get better outcomes for our people and and uh would be an alternative to that that ought to reduce impact. I think that that's a great way to approach it, but you you start with, hey, here's a problem that whether we like it or not it's happening and and uh here's some different ways to you know, to approach it. I I love that as an idea. What, um, how do you get kind of the, I don't know, did you ever have to talk internal leaders into, you know, taking on more risk or allowing you to be able to take more risk? And how, how do you manage up in that way? If, if that's something that you had to do?
0: The the short answer is yes. I I I did have to um, get our leader get leaders to um, align with taking risk and and sometimes taking risk. It it, it typically was around something like taking a um, a risk to change from one PBM to the other because in their mind that was a huge risk.
1: Right.
0: Right. So I think it comes back to this same, the same comments around, you know, ensuring that they know of all the the liabilities of potential liabilities, et cetera. And so you're, you're working through that.
1: How do we choose a good vendor? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, how do you, how do we choose a good vendor? There's a million of them out there. What are the ways that you sort of sniff out those that are going to be successful and that that can make a difference?
0: So I think, for the first of all, um, having a good actuary on your side. And when I mean good, I mean someone who understands how you think about things and how you want them to think about things. Because actuarial science is actually not science, it's actuarial art, um, (laughs) to be honest. And um, there's a lot of different ways to think about things. And so be sure that your actuaries think about things the way you want them to think about it. Um, I think that... um, you are looking for it it has to be something that you can intellectually just get your head behind this makes sense right right the way that they do their business makes just makes sense and it feels right and then make sure that there is a cultural alignment with the way that they deliver their services with your organization Mm. and then finally the final thing is and I would see, that I, I recall two very, very, very distinct times that this came to play. When we found two vendors that were basically even up on what it was they were going to deliver, the, their, their potential outcomes, their value, their, everything was, it was pretty, and we were, we were really struggling with how to choose between these two vendors. And I've been, two very distinct cases. And our tipping point was, which one of them do we feel is more culturally aligned with my organization? Where the leaders, the executives of that company, if I have a conversation with them and say, this is what we're thinking, they're going to understand it. They're going to know, they're going to be, they will have already thought about things that way. So I think having a company that is delivering things in a culturally appropriate for your corporation, right? But also the way they think at a business level is aligned with the way that you think culturally.
1: I love that. And one of the main things that we ought to consider and one of the last things asked in an RFP, maybe even never, is sort of the way that you think about business and the problem. That's such a great insight. I'm not
0: sure that ever would be asked or answered appropriately in an RFP. It's one of those things you get in the finalist meetings. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that makes sense. In the RFPs, you have some some person getting paid a few dollars an hour copying and pasting out of an answer bank. It's probably not the place you get it. Well, hey, this is this has been absolutely a treasure trove of uh information. Thank you so much for your time today. If if somebody wanted to reach out to you or connect with you, you know, wh- where's a place where they can find you?
0: I'm on LinkedIn every day. Okay. Sally Wilborn, one L and two L's in Sally, one L and Wilborn
1: marvelous thank you so much for uh, for joining us today this has been terrific and thanks listeners if this has been valuable please send this to a, a a friend or an associate so they can learn as well thanks for joining us on broken benefits if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe to our youtube channel or on your favorite podcasting platform also please share today's show with a friend or colleague it's free to do and it helps us spread the message to as many people as possible until next time